0: Good morning, this is Talking Animals on WMNF and before we go any further I'd like to thank Glenn Hatchell for hosting last week in my absence, delivering an excellent show highlighted by a fascinating interview of course you uh, also know Glenn from joining me on the show every 3 or 4 months sharing his expertise on a segment we call Ask the Trainer anyway, again, my thanks to him for definitely steering the ship last week meanwhile today, November 1st World Vegan Day, not coincidentally my guest is Dr. Faraz Harsini one of the speakers at the Tampa Bay Veg Fest happening this Saturday, November 4th, at Perry Harvey Senior Park. Dr. Arsini truly wears many hats, among them scientists, scholar, educator, LGBTQ1A+, activist, public speaker, mentor, and ph- philanthropist. He'll be donning many of those hats and delivering his lecture Plan for Saturday's VegFest bearing the provocative title is The End of Modern Medicine Near. In delivering this talk, Dr. Harsini will likely draw on his professional and educational background. He's a biomedical scientist whose academic training includes a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering, a master's degree in biotechnology and cancer research, and a Ph.D. in cell physiology and molecular biophysics. He brings this extensive training and the attendant wealth of research to perhaps his chief mission, Promoting veganism while sometimes addressing information on alternatives to animal testing that are considered better for humans and for animals as well. Dr. Harsini also serves as CEO of Allied Scholars for Animal Protection, or ASAP, a nonprofit he founded that supports students who are committed to advocating for animal and environmental protection, public health, and pursuing careers that can make the most difference. We'll discuss many of these and seek a sneak preview of his VegFest uh, lecture. When I speak with Dr. Faraz Harzini in a moment here on Talking Animals on WMF, Coming up later in today's program, I'll speak with Miriam Parham, one of the organizers of the Tampa Bay VegFest, providing an overview of this Saturday's event, including discussing familiar features from over the years, new elements that will be presented this year, VegFest offerings restored after being curtailed or tabled during the COVID years, maybe touching on some 2023 speakers or vendors, and so on. So more VEGFest details later in the show. Right now, though, let's talk with Dr. Harsini, who again happens to be a VEGFest speaker and brings an unusually scientific background to that role. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Dr. Faraz Harsini on Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, Dr. Harsini.
1: Good morning. Thank you so much for
0: having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, Talking Animals. And compared with most of the guests I've interviewed on this show over the years, and certainly the VegFest speakers I've spoken with, your narrative uh, appears quite distinctive in many ways. Can you talk a little bit about your background growing up and so on? Um,
1: Absolutely. I uh, grew up in uh, Iran. I'm born and raised in Iran, and... Um, I was there until I was 22 years old. I did my bachelor in chemical engineering from university of Tehran and that was kind of my introduction to human rights activism or just activism in general, because during 2008, 2009, there were a lot of protests against the dictator regime. And that was pretty much my wake up call that I need to be doing something, um, So I got involved in human rights activism. I was in a lot of protests, Um, in one of which, in particular, I almost got killed when I had somebody chasing me with a machete. One of the anti-riot police was tear gassed. Um,
0: Just, 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 sorry to interrupt, uh, Dr. Arsini, but that was strictly because you were a protester?
1: uh, Yes, we were protesting um, peacefully inside the university, and the government was basically... um, trying to, you know, stop us.
0: Right. Um, I guess a machete is a pretty effective way to try to deter people from protesting.
1: Unfortunately, yeah. Um, You know, they had anti-riot police, um, paramilitary forces, so these are people that you can't tell that they're police, but they suddenly attack you. Um, So, yeah, they broke inside the university, they attacked the students, um, and I was one of them. And just, like, seeing people being beaten up, Um, And my dad had to jump out of a building, the same reason, trying to, like, run away from um, anti-riot police and all that stuff. And At the same time, I I was um, always very, uh, very much affected by seeing, like, children um, who had, you know, labor kids and, um, you know, poor children. We had a lot of Afghan immigrants in Iran um they weren't being treated right um they had uh, they didn't have basic rights and even for like education so there were like a lot of things that bothered me and on top of that my major was chemical engineering so uh, i was studying petroleum uh, enhanced oil recovery actually and during that time the gulf of mexico um big oil spill happened and i was like all right i don't want to have anything to do with petroleum anymore um, so I switched my major, my my research to biofuel production, and I was in this kind of lost state because I was like, there are so many things I care about. There are just kids, there, there are immigrants, there are humans, there are uh, human rights issues, um, and there were animals too. So I wasn't vegan back then, but I remember I was very much affected by hunting and uh, animal testing and all that stuff, even before being vegan or vegetarian.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I didn't even know what it meant, honestly. Uh, Yeah. But I I felt like I always cared about all these issues. And it was until when I finally left, um, when I was about 22 years old. Um, I left Iran, and uh, when I was living in Germany for a while, one of my friends told me, Frogs, you can't say you love animals and eat them too. Um, (laughs) And that I, I kind of got upset. Uh, didn't tell her anything, but in my head I was like, how dare you, like, challenging my morality, like, I'm a good person, like, I, I almost got killed and you're telling me it's not good enough, um, you're judging me here. But yeah. I'm just so grateful that she spoke up and she said something, because if she didn't say anything, if she was so worried about, like, offending me, I wouldn't be here today. So yeah. that was kind of an introduction to... Um, um, animal issues, and then, um, yeah, back in Iran, I also got involved in clinic clowning, so I would just go to hospitals, play music for children who are suffering from cancer, and yeah, just wanted to do something, I always ask myself, what is something better and more impactful I can do, so yeah, um, that's why I started, started doing cancer research in graduate school and biomedical sciences later on. Um, But at the end of the day, just to wrap everything up, um, I noticed that veganism was the only thing that brought everything I ever cared about. Um, It was animals, it was environment, it was humans, and I noticed that there is no other cause as important, as effective, and as neglected as animal issues, animal rights, and veganism that I can be dedicating my life to. So here I am.
0: All right, well, that, that uh, that's a pretty sweeping and thorough summary. Um, I'm going to go back, if I can, and sort of uh, explore some of those things in a little bit greater detail. Um, one of the things it sounds like, too, is that early on, before you left uh, Iran and came over here, it sounds like there were a number of issues and things that uh, bothered you that you felt uh, either were injustice of one kind or, or otherwise had some sort of... Um, Uh, sort of beating up on the little guy or various things that are all uh, sort of related to that in some way. So how did you sift through those? Because it sounds like there were several kind of simultaneous or at least overlapping in in a lot of those years. How did you veer towards uh, animals uh, before you even moved to to Germany and had that conversation? It never shifted towards
1: animals. When I was in Iran, it was an issue that I cared about, but I didn't even... So veganism wasn't even a word that I ever heard back in Iran. I, yeah. don't, I don't even think we have a word for it today. It's just like we had to make up a word for it. Um, and vegetarianism, all I knew was my mom tried to be vegetarian for a little bit, but it was more like, like a you know, dietary exploration more than anything else. Like It was not about animals, and she was eating weird things, and I was like, well, that's weird. So it was, I I just, the idea of not eating animal products was not a thing. No one ever told me. No one told me what happens to animals. And, you know, I grew up, so it's an Islamic country, right? So you, you know, every year on the street, they um, sacrifice animals. And I've seen, you know, as a kid, uh, people just like get together and somebody's just like kills, like literally cuts the throat of like a cow or sheep. And, you know, you see them just shaking after they cut their throat. And I remember I asked my dad, I was like, oh, don't worry, they're not suffering when they cut their throat. They, they don't feel feel pain. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess, like, you don't really think about how much these animals have to suffer in captivity and just to be there and being taken away from their families and all of that, even if, you know, they're not necessarily feeling pain after you've cut their throat. But just never really thought about any of these Um and the irony of that is in Iran we have a uh, tradition for New Year or No where people buy goldfish um, live, so they keep them in water tanks. Uh, ironically, they're supposed to be a symbol of life and health and um, this sort of thing. But even back in Iran when I had concerts, I, I'm a musician, so every year in my university I had a big concert, and like at the end of my music concert... I would encourage people not to buy goldfish because I noticed that millions of fish die and it's not even an originally Persian tradition. I was like, come on, people, wake up. Why are you buying these animals, killing them? They don't intentionally kill them, but they don't take care of them. They die. In the process of selling them, millions die. And I was like, this is so unnecessary. And so, ironically, when I told my friends in Germany, uh, I said, hey, can you help me design a poster for this year to encourage people not to buy goldfish? She said, well, you just don't make any sense. You literally eat animals. Like, you can't say you love animals and eat them too. Like, you literally eat fish. Like, what? what what's the point of, like, trying to save goldfish? Yeah. Um, and I was like, <laughs> that was my wake-up call.
0: So. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, I think we all are familiar with that sort of a disconnect, that cognitive dissonance that uh, people experience at one point or another. And it takes sometimes... A certain uh, discovery or a friend like that sort of pointing out the discrepancy and making you kind of rethink your position before you sort of, you know, reapproach everything with, with a different uh, attitude in mind.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I really want to emphasize on how important it was for this person to say something. She didn't, I mean, I was actually living with her for a little bit and, you know, I saw what she was eating and none of that really made, you know, make the connection. It was what she said. Yeah. Sometimes it's good to have like cupcakes and everything to show people that you can be vegan and it's vegan cupcakes. But at the the end of the day, it's what you say and encouraging people. And I can give you tens of examples of people. One of them has like a big vegan restaurant um, in Houston. He perfected Persian kebab, uh, the vegan recipe of it. And this guy became vegan because someone said exactly the same thing. He got upset at first, and now he has, he's feeding people uh, vegan food. And I know so many people like that because someone dared to speak up. So um, that's why I always encourage people, please say something. Yeah. Don't worry about, like, coming across as, you know. We are just so afraid that people judge us. Sure. We don't want to be, like, we don't want to sound, like, judgmental, but it's like, it's it can come from a place of love and compassion, but we should say something.
0: Right. There's, I think for every every person or, or, or more than one that may roll their eyes or say, "Oh, come on," whatever, there's somebody like you that was listening to your friend in Germany that was deeply and forever influenced. And uh, you never know which which person that might be.
1: Exactly. And I'm not the only
0: one. Oh, for sure. No, I just mean that. I just yeah. mean that the idea of speaking up. Even if sometimes people are like, oh, come on, or, you know, that kind of exasperated look or whatever. I think we've all seen it. But uh, but there's there's someone else in that room or that gathering that's profoundly affected, just like you were. And at, at that point, it's worth speaking up and it's worth the eye-rolling or the exasperation or whatever, you know, comes from some of the other people in that same room. Absolutely. So when you were, cause it sounds like early on, I mean, starting even in undergrad, you were very scientific-minded and have been really ever since. As you got more involved with um, animals and animal welfare, was there a part of you that felt like, hey, if I keep studying in, the, in this realm, um, the scientific background and the knowledge that I will have and the research that I may conduct may help me in some ways... In my um, efforts on behalf of animals and animal welfare?
1: Um, I wish, Um, which is one reason I have my nonprofit because I really want to bring this education to students as soon as possible.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, ironically, the name is ASAP, but like really, I want to bring this to students before they make career choices. But for me, uh, as well as many other people, I was already committed to my graduate school. degree, which was the biotechnology and cancer research. Yeah. For that, I also had a lot of good reasons, except that I just wasn't vegan when I was thinking about, you know, choosing what to do. And before that, I, you know, when I was volunteering in hospitals and I saw children suffering so tremendously, um, I asked myself, you know, I just don't want to be a chemical engineer. I want to do something more meaningful with my life and um, help curing these uh, kids, and that was my profound reason to do cancer research. But simultaneously, as I was becoming more aware of um, the impacts of animal consumption on environments and animals, um, in graduate school I was also shocked to learn that um, 40% of cancers can be prevented with lifestyle um, interventions
0: yeah
1: uh simple lifestyle choices, no no smoking no alcohol uh, more veggies and fruits um, less animal products etc less sunlight and with the, with what I just said we can prevent up to like forty percent of cancers and then 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 the question was like all right, all this money all these efforts everything I'm trying to do is to possibly reduce the risk of cancer or cure that's like a very tiny you know, small population of cancer patients where we almost can prevent half of them. And no one isn't talking about it. Like, no one is even saying that, hey, lifestyle choices, hey, half of these shouldn't even happen. And then I, it, it just, like, completely changed the way I looked at biomedical sciences because my introduction to biomedical sciences was I wanted to help people. Then the question was, well, if I really want to help people, what is number one cause of death? It's actually cardiovascular diseases. Uh, What causes cardiovascular diseases? um, You know, saturated fat, cholesterol, obesity—all these things that can be prevented. Again, Um, I was like, there is no—even if I cure cancer, there is no guarantee that it it won't continue to be a top killer because we already have prevention and uh, we can completely stop cardiovascular diseases almost almost entirely. It still continues to be the first cause of death. So I was like, I I was kind of lost. uh, at the same time, you know, pandemic and every little thing, every disease I ever studied, com- I noticed that it comes back to the food that we are eating, the, the food system. And I was like, you know what, even if, my- even if I just wanted to help people, uh, the best thing I can do with my life is to promote veganism, and that's what, what I do today. Yeah. But to answer your question, I was already committed to my uh, graduate school um, studies and uh, I don't regret it. I think I learned so much since that it gives me credibility and the knowledge and expertise to talk about it. But um, I also want to say that today, I'm as I'm speaking with you, I'm at American College of Lifestyle Medicine Conference in Denver. There are 2,000 scientists, physicians, professors from Harvard, military events from here, uh, in here, in this conference. And when I talk to people, they say, you know, the guy was doing his second residency. He was in his 50s when he learned first time that plant based diet can be good. You know, who knew? Um, and to me, that is a problem. It shouldn't take, you shouldn't be in your 50s and 40s and so advanced in your career before you learn about the benefit of plant based diet. So, um, to answer your question, I think the same thing happened to me. I was already in my, um, uh, you know, program. Yeah. I- became vegan and started learning that all these things are interconnected and I would be more effective if I just addressed the root cause, which is animal consumption, than you know, making antibodies for influenza and all that.
0: Right. Yeah. It, 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 it sounds like there was a certain juncture where you were doing your studies, but it, but it spoke to you because you already had uh, at least a, 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 a burgeoning interest and concern about animals and animal welfare and so those things sounds like they kind of intersected at a certain point in the midst of your studies where you thought okay here's here's something that my scientific background and training uh, can help me speak to this and address this and help others um, both humans and animals along the way Yes, yeah,
1: absolutely
0: and, and I think most of us have seen a number of films and read a number of books, where, uh, as you noted, that you know, cancer, heart disease, a certain kind of diabetes, et cetera, all can be um, greatly improved, even reversed in many cases, by embracing a plant-based diet. So it's it's uh, powerful on a medical level and, and on the other levels as well.
1: Yes, absolutely, and something that we don't really talk about often is so. After my doctorate, I was still like, "What is the best way for me to use my background in a way that is relevant to veganism?" And I still didn't have the right answer.
0: Um, Still, now you say you don't have the right answer.
1: I do. Oh, after my doctorate.
0: Oh, I I see. Sorry, I got you. I'm sorry.
1: So, um, I. I had a few options. I had a postdoctorate option in MIT and another um, job offer from a pharmaceutical company. And I really liked that job because it was like clinical research, so bringing the like, therapies to patients as fast as possible. And I was like, that uh, sounds exciting. So I did that. But again, I noticed that I was working on antibodies for de- like, de- designing new therapeutics and drugs for uh, pandemics. for COVID and influenza and some cancers and inflammatory diseases. And what I noticed was, all right, what is the root cause of influenza, like bird flu? It is like egg consumption and chicken consumption. As long as we have those farms, as long as we are consuming animals, we're going to have new versions of influenza. And, you know, and the other thing is there are a lot of people already working on drug design, but who is out there speaking of for Those chickens who have to die in millions every time uh, bird influenza hits, and by the way, they, they do that now by ventilation shutdown, right? So they shut off the ventilation, these animals literally hit up to death uh, slowly. So it's like just imagine a do- dog trapped in a hot car, mm. just imagine we do that with millions of chickens every year, yeah. Um, when they have bird flu, and um, then it's Affects people too, right? So I was like, instead of just making new drugs, I should just be focusing on addressing the root cause, which is the animal consumption. Right. So take
0: Take it. Take it. A look at it at a, at, a, at the step before, and exactly. and see if you can mitigate that. And, and root cause. Yeah. Right. And um, one of the things I'm uh, interested in, just that you alluded to a moment ago, is at this uh, this big conference. Uh, that you're at currently, one of the things I've asked guests like yourself over the years is to what extent medical training of one kind or another uh, reflects um, you know, a true interest in nutrition and, and a reflection of, as you've already noted here, how uh, much impact a plant-based diet can have. Do you get a sense from colleagues either at this gathering or, or other previous ones but but more recent ones, that, that that the curriculum has been shifted in some ways at med school and other kinds of related graduate school uh,
1: not at the moment no um, even today uh, nutrition is not being emphasized and I think that's overestimation honestly like it's probably exaggeration uh, it, it's almost non-existent um, in most curriculum um
0: you mean nutri- like a course on nutrition for for aspiring yeah, um, medical doctors
1: exactly so any kind of nutrition education um except they they probably learn you know this is the symptoms that you're gonna have if you have vitamin d three uh you know deficiency as it relates to diseases but they don't really learn uh the impact of nutrition diet so nothing about the diet right yeah um and uh, Yeah, so so there are very few schools that that do that. But, I mean, on the bright side, thanks to places like uh, American College of Lifestyle Medicine, um, they have now interest groups in a lot of, like, medical schools. So they try to bring this education in a very systematic way to um, medical students. And it's actually a residency. So um, today, doctors can actually get a residency in lifestyle medicine. So it's not, like... um, uh, unofficial disorganized thing it's very yeah. official is that like you can officially study this as a uh, as a resident and get you know get a certificate and board certification in lifestyle medicine and so many people here there are internal medicine physicians cardiologists um, you know all um, um, it's a very diverse group of people but they all also get their board certification in lifestyle medicine so that's a very good good news in, in that way. That's
0: progress, right?
1: And yeah. Yeah. I, I was actually talking to a physician yesterday, and he said um, he's a rural, um, he, basically he's a physician in a very distant area in, uh, in Utah, um, in like rural areas, and he's coming from like a hunter and, uh, you know, a farmer background, so to him, not eating meat was not even an option. Uh, until he came across the education, and he was really interested. And today, he's vegan. He's in this conference, and he's talking about plant-based diets with uh, with his patients. So, so you see some changes, which is really good.
0: Yeah, and it's um, uh, one of the folks know by the way. This is Talking Animals on If You just tuned in. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Faraz Harsini, Dr. Faraz Harsini, a biomedical scientist, educator and activist and one of the speakers at the Tampa Bay VegFest happening this Saturday, November 4th at Perry Harvey Senior Park. His VegFest lecture uh, bears the provocative title, Is the End of Modern Medicine Near? If you have a question for Dr. Harsini or would like to uh, offer a comment on anything we've discussed so far or we will discuss, please Feel free to call 813-239-9663, email dj at org or text 813-433-0885. So that course you mentioned definitely sounds like it's uh, encouraging, just because some some of the things that I still hear and just incidentally read about or whatever, is that, like in hospitals, uh, a lot of the food that's served there seems like almost... Directly at odds with having some of the patients at least get better. And there just is, again, seems like one of those disconnects about nutrition, about the virtues of a plant-based diet for somebody that's, you know, had a heart attack, let's say, or some, some something even less directly related. And you just think, hopefully that gap gets bridged more and more soon because it seems like it's slow moving. Yes, uh, it has to
1: be fixed very soon. Um, it's an urgent matter that the, the longer it takes for us to fix the system, more people, more animals are dying. Um, so this is not a joke. It's not just let's, you know, try to change the system in coming years. No, every, every second, every hour, every day matters. People are dying. Um, animals are dying. And um, it is the most urgent and most neglected issue of our time, um, which is why we need to be speaking up. We need to be uh, getting active.
0: Yeah. Um, so let's uh, just to make sure we we uh, have time for for everything. Uh, I've alluded to it, and you have too. Um, in some ways, kind of where we are in the conversation. Uh, in some ways, uh, maybe brings us to more specific conversation about your. Organization Allied Scholars for Animal Protection, or, or ASAP. Uh, tell me a little bit about it and, and, its, uh, and its mission.
1: So my goal is to orchestrate animal advocacy and veganism in universities. Um, why, why universities? Because it's the most important place to start the change in society. That's where all the influential people, m- most influential people come from universities, and often really good universities. Um, So the future funders, um, scientists, physicians, all these people come from universities, right? So in order to change the system, uh, we need to start from somewhere. And I think uh, a very good place to start with is universities. And our movement has completely given up on the the next generation. So um, we are focusing on a lot of other campaigns, but we completely forgot that we are missing all these opportunities in universities. And, in fact, all the vegan activists, animal rights activists, scientists, you know, they became motivated and inspired when they were in college. But now we completely gave up. So that's the problem I'm trying to address, uh, to bring all this education that I mentioned uh, about health, about the environment, and most importantly about animals to uh, college campuses. So when people are 18, 19, 20, that's when they learn about this. And no matter what they're going to study whether they want to go to law school, medical school, whatever they want to do with their life, there is a way for them to focus on animal rights while pursuing their careers. So that's the goal.
0: Yeah, that sounds really great. How does how, is, it, uh, is there certain schools where this is offered, or how do you how do you uh, how do people know about it, and how do people get involved if they do hear about it and say, "Hey, that's for me."
1: Um, so yeah, um, the goal is to be pretty much in every school, um, but you know I, I have to slowly grow the team and as i you know need more money to hire more people in order to expand but that's the goal um today with our limited uh budget we just go down the list of uh, top universities so we are in harvard mit cornell columbia brown uh, university of wisconsin um etc and also because i'm based in texas we are growing really fast in texas as well texas A&M, ut austin um, and other universities. Uh, but oftentimes when there is a student who is very motivated and they contact me and they, they say, I want to do this, uh, there is no way I, I just say no, um, just because when I see the potential and I just can't say no to that. But the, the big problem that I'm trying to address here is that um, you look at animal advocacy on college campuses. We actually did the research. Um, it's almost entirely non-existent. Uh, there is There are very few organizations, animal rights organizations, that exist and are, quote-unquote, active. But almost none of them does outreach. None of them is on campus talking to other students. Oftentimes, all they do is, like, potluck. Um, Isn't that surprising?
0: Don't you find I mean, at this point especially, I find that surprising just when you hear about so many – you know, kind of better-known maybe activists that, that started their own advocacy and activism exactly on their college campus, and you'd think it would have uh, kind of widened out from there over the years?
1: Yeah, I think a few organizations tried, Yeah. Um, but especially after COVID, everything died. And then also the, the, the way we are different from other organizations. I used to be a PETA campus representative myself, and I love PETA, and today I still work with them. But the focus of a lot of other organizations is to, you know, have one representative. My organization is not supporting only one student. We are supporting the community. My goal is that animal rights organizations don't die when students graduate, which is something that, that keeps happening. You look at the history of MIT, every, every two, three years, a couple of students who are motivated came, started a group, called it something which is every, every time different, uh, like different every time. And um, they did something. They graduated. It died. And so we have to keep reinventing the wheel. Waste time. Waste resources. Mm. And when are not, when the group dies, then you are wasting all those other vegans who might want to do something, but there is no club for them to do anything. Yeah. Um, so it's not just vegans. Also, we want to make new vegans, right? We want to make new vegans. We want to inspire vegans that are already there, but the infrastructure to do that doesn't exist. So my goal is. And this has been done before. Federalist Society is one example. Christian organizations are, and you know, they're called the same exact thing. They're not called like veggie cats, you know, SACA, different acronyms, um, you know. They're called exactly the same thing. They do, they have a very strict strategy that they replicate in different universities. But that's what I want. I want like a Starbucks of animal rights. Yeah. You know, when you go to a new city, you know there is going to be a Starbucks. You know how much you pay. You know what you get, and hopefully right. that plant base milk. But um, I want that. You know, I want you. When you go to a university, you know that there is going to be a HAP chapter. You know exactly what they do. You know you're going to get support. You you know what their strategies are. You know you get uh, to grow your community. All that stuff. So um, that's my goal.
0: So, yeah. That's this, that sounds uh, super ambitious. Uh, Dr. Harsini, just because um, I don't know what kind of funding that would require, but to to sort of have it like franchise across campuses throughout the nation, that just seems... Uh, I mean, I, I'm impressed, and I, I, I obviously support the idea, but it just seems like um, to actually execute that would... I don't know what kind of uh, funds you have access to, or if people are making contributions or grants or whatever to help you uh, expand the, the, the ASAP program, but but it seems like you would need some serious uh, resources of that kind.
1: So the funding already exists in our movement, except that it goes elsewhere. Um, so that's why we are relying a lot on like individual donors um, uh, and small donors. Um, so there is that, and there are some uh, grants available as well. Um, but, yeah, you're absolutely right. The only One of the main bottlenecks for us to expand is uh, basically the budget. But I can yeah. just tell you this, that it does not... Cost that much to do this in the entire, in like top 100 universities. It's so doable if you wanted to do this. That's great. The the money already, in our movement, the money 100% exists. It's just a matter of like how you distribute money. And so what I'm trying to do is to bring attention to campus advocacy um, because it's completely neglected. Um,
0: And yeah. And would, would your own personal website, would that be a place people that are, if they're listening and thinking, hey, I'd like to find out more about this or maybe even support your efforts to uh, to widen out to more and more campuses, would, would would FarazHarsini.com be the place to look, or is there another website that you would recommend?
1: The best place to look up would be um, alliedscholars.org. So that's alliedscholars.org.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Um, so over there, you can see some of our initiatives, some of our programs. Um and um, if someone wanted to help us, uh, there's a donation page there. And then you can also see the list of our schools we are at uh, as well. So overall, we focus on three things. We focus on a lot of outreach, which is completely non-existent. That's how we make new vegans, how we inspire vegans. Then we have education. So now that we have these groups, we're bringing plant-based physicians, scientists about, you know, talk, talk about climate, pandemics, and animal ethics. In a very systematic way. So it's not just once in a while somebody comes and talks and goes and that happens. Everything builds towards that community. And the third pillar that we work on is working with universities to go plant-based. And I do have an exciting update on that. For the very first time in the U.S., we are doing a 100% plant-based university at the University of Columbia. This has been done in the U.K. before. No one wanted to do it in the U- U.S. because they know that it's going to be very hard. And I, that's not something that can kind of stop me. So um, we are doing a 100% plant-based university campaign in Columbia University, so that's very exciting. And in other schools, we also work with dining Calls to go plant-based.
0: So let me make sure I understand this, Dr. Arjun. This sounds very exciting. So... University of Columbia has committed to that, or they're they're uh, in the midst of sorting that out and deciding whether to implement the 100% plant-based uh, policy.
1: No, we are initiating the campaign. Okay. Um, at Columbia University. Okay. It's going to be a long battle, um, but I know that Columbia they care about climate so much, and um, we have very good a lot of good allies, um, and it's also in New York City's. So. Um, the city as a whole has seen a lot of, like, big um, changes thanks to Mayor Adams yeah. um, in terms of, like, hospitals having vegan food, schools having vegan food, stuff like that. So we think it's a great place to start. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be the first time that we're going to actually run this campaign. No one wanted to touch it because they know it's going to be very hard, uh, but it's not going to be impossible. Yeah. I will try until it happens.
0: And is there a projected timetable for uh when you think uh, the university will embrace the uh, 100% plant-based policy?
1: Um, These sort of changes are typically um, in a manner of, like, a year or two or so. Okay. Um, And sometimes they put a deadline. They say, by, you know, this year we're going to go 100% plant-based. And that's, like, one way that it has worked before in in the U.K. So we don't know how they're going to respond. But the thing is we are... Basically, using their own words uh, to encourage them to say that if you say that you're, you know, you care about sustainability and climate, here are all the reasons that you should be. And the, another reason is uh, Columbia University's food is already like 50% plant-based. Um, but they're very smart in the way that they do that. They don't label it as vegan necessarily, so it's like it's not like vegan meatball. I was there. Uh, people were actually eating meatball, uh, and it was vegan. They just didn't know because the label, they didn't pay attention, and the label didn't, like, say. So you
0: know, they, they weren't vegan. trumpeting it. They weren't, they weren't making a big production yeah, out right. of it. They are just saying, here yeah. here's some good food, so enjoy.
1: People ate it, and they loved the food, and
0: yeah.
1: uh, that's what we want to say. We, we want to see, you know, you can have the entire dining hall be vegan, uh, and if you do it right, no one can even tell the difference, that, that, that you know, they can still enjoy the food, but... We are uh, basically organizing students, professors, all the scholars, um, all of that. So that's, yeah. a, that's a very exciting um,
0: campaign that we're starting as well. That's great. Uh, again, this is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Dr. Faraz Harsini, a biomedical scientist, educator, one of the speakers at the Tampa Bay VegFest happening this Saturday, November 4th at Perry Harvey Senior Park. His lecture at VegFest is entitled, Is the End of Modern Medicine Near?" We invite you in our remaining moments with Dr. Arsini to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at WMNF.org or texting 813-433-0885. So I would think, like with the Columbia campaign and just other things, uh, your own extensive scientific background helps tremendously in terms of Credibility for uh, speaking to university officials or or others that are trying to consider uh, a policy or an initiative that you're proposing. I mean, doesn't that uh, hold tremendous sway with a lot of these uh, administrators and executives? Others?
1: Yeah, for sure. Especially because we are like allied scholars, so that definitely helps. uh, Especially when I contact you know other professors or um, faculty. And it's been great. Uh, We were recently on a tour um, in Harvard, MIT, Brown, Cornell, Columbia. We basically uh, did a lot of outreach. I spoke in every university. And uh, oftentimes you had actually other faculty who were vegan who saw the events. They they attended. And it was a very good uh, moment to build the momentum in these universities. And really my final goal is that a better vision that I have about ASAP, I think to me, I find better about what failure looks like to me. And I can tell you in two years, if you go to a university, you're randomly walking and you're not coming across veganism, vegan message, that why veganism is an urgency. Um, that's how I know I failed. Because that, today that, that, that doesn't exist. You can go through four years of college and four years of medical school and law school and never, ever hear about veganism at all. And to me, if that stays the same two years from now, that's, that's how I know I failed.
0: Um, Something tells me you're not going to fail, and you're not going to allow, allow that to happen.
1: No, I'm just saying, like, I, I know that what, this is a problem I want to tackle, and yeah. I know the impact that it can have. Today, because of this Campus Advocacy, I know tons of people who are dedicating their lives to veganism, as scientists, as physicians, as funders, right? Yeah. So we want to just see more of that.
0: Well, that's uh, my, my money's on you dr. Harsini for sure and uh, we're just about at the end of our time but um, I mentioned a couple times you're slated to deliver a lecture Saturday at the Tampa Bay Vegfest and that uh, lecture is entitled is the end of modern medicine near can you just give us like a uh, like an elevator pitch or like a sneak preview of what that what that talk will involve
1: um, so basically share part of my story um, and how I cared about so many other topics and why I landed on veganism. What was so so special about veganism um, that I decided amongst everything else that I cared about and I could do with my life, I'm doing this. Um, So, um, and At the end, I just really want to focus and emphasize on the urgency of, of the issue. It's not food for thought. It is an urgent matter, and my goal is to basically help audience to sense that urgency, and, you know, leave the room doing something about it. Yeah. I think everyone can do something about it with, with their money, with people they support, with speaking up, with uh, getting active, doing activism, with, with their careers if they're younger. You know, there is something for anyone to do. I just say that in the face of injustice, silence is not an option. You see something wrong, say something.
0: Yeah. Well, you certainly have a long history as we established early on in our conversation of following that exact uh, dictate. So uh, uh, I hope people will uh, practice what you're preaching and and uh, start to embrace it more directly as their own ethos. So, Dr. Faraz Harsini, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Animals. Just want to let people know, again, the uh, website for the uh, incredible... Uh, academic-minded thing that he's helping to cultivate college kids to take action of this kind is alliedscholars.org. His own website is farazharsini, F-A-R-A-Z-H-A-R-S-I-N-I dot com. And, of course, you can also go to tampabayvegfest.com to find out about his uh, lecture and what time and stuff on this Saturday at VegFest. Thank you so much, Dr. Harsini, for joining us today on Talking Animals. My pleasure.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. Thank you. Bye. In a moment, I'll talk with Miriam Parham, an organizer of the Tampa Bay Veg Fest, about some of the offerings and elements marking this year's event. Again, that's Saturday at Perry Harvey Senior Park. But we'll discuss uh, various uh, ed- Veg Fest offerings, new and old, and uh, other things coming up on Saturday and even before Saturday in just a moment. Right now, though, we're going to step into in the comedy corner with Hari Kandabalu with a short relevant piece called "A Vegan Long Con in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. I love the fact I don't do easy jokes. I I take hard angles, I have hard joke structures, you know, I take risks with my material. You know, I'm not one of those comedians that claims they're edgy and that makes fun of vegans, right? Like, why would I make fun of vegans? I'm not going to do that, right? I think it's incredible if you're a vegan that you have an ethos and that you stick to it, especially in this day and age. That's really hard to see, you know? The idea that somebody is not going to eat, like, animal products, is not going to buy anything that has animal products or animal byproducts, that's incredible to me. Why would I make fun of that? (laughs) But I will say, vegan friends, uh, some of you drive cars that run on fossil fuels, and uh,
2: that's dinosaur
0: bones. So I'm just saying, though. No, I'm just saying. Right, I'm uh,
1: you're welcome, Satan.
0: <laughs> that's what we call a long con. <laughs> All right, that was Harry Kondabalu with a vegan long con here on the Comedy Corner on Talking Animals. Taken from his album Mainstream American Comic, wanted to allure you to a fantastic comedy show uh, coming up this Saturday at the Dolheimer uh, Capital Theater featuring Gary Goleman and Tom Ryan, both hilarious, great comics. So that's this Saturday uh, right here in uh, Clearwater at the Capital Theater. So, didn't reach Miriam. I'm going to try again momentarily here. And we we'll hope to be back for more information about VegFest on Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Miriam now, so we're going to uh, proceed with the conversation. This is uh, Miriam Parham, one of the organizers of Tampa Bay Veg Fest, and uh, welcome back to Talk Animals, Miriam.
2: Thank you, Duncan. Thank you so much for all you do for the animals, for our community, and for helping with Tampa Bay Veg Fest.
0: Yeah, well, we're really excited about that. Let's uh, take a quick moment, and uh, I noticed that it's billed as the 12th annual. So, how would you say Veg Fest has changed over the years uh, since you first began?
2: Oh, I think it's gotten bigger and better, and we've learned to try to include more people, include things for everybody. So this is an event for all ages and everyone, um, no matter what your, you know, it's, it's, we, we're all about diversity, equity, and inclusion and having a balance that will invite everybody in the community to have something. And we also have focused on trying to help our local vegan restaurants and our local animal rescues. We really um, need to do everything we can to help them. And so we're so grateful for all of our vendors and our sponsors, our speakers. We have um, a fantastic yoga section, too. We have a lot of people from different uh, studios in the area. Um, We just really feel like we're trying to be more inclusive every year and have an increased variety, free food samples, speakers, just as people heard from Dr. Horsini with such an interesting background and so much to offer to the youth. And this is about education. This is what FEA is all about. We want to educate people about animal abuse and exploitation, and how helping animals helps us, our health, our environment, you know, our planet. And our speakers are exemplify all that, and so do our um, chefs. We try to support local restaurants and chefs. Even our musicians are local. So, really and truly, this is all about. Fun. and if anybody comes to tampa bay veg fest and leave, leaves hungry it's their fault <laughs> yeah
0: well speaking of that let's you know because really w- one of the main draws i think for various people coming to veg fest is the food so give us a just a little uh, quick sense of the array of food vendors and or on a related note the cooking demos that people could expect to uh, to see on saturday
2: well we probably have more food trucks and vendors than we did last year and in years past so Even vendors who are not vegan that day bring a vegan option to share. They have everything has to be vegan that day. So I think that people are going to learn about comfort foods, fast foods, health foods, a little bit of everything. And our cooking demos are exemplify that as well. We have um, raw foods and we have just yummy things from, um, you know, dumplings, rasta pasta, creamy vegan burgers, chickpea salad. And people get to taste all these things after they see it demonstrated. So you have to get a seat. So if you want to get a taste there, get there on time. But we also have the free food samples that uh, are close by. So we want people to have an opportunity to taste lots and lots of stuff and support all our local vendors. But it just its incredible how we have over 100 vendors and not all food vendors, obviously. We have a lot of other environmentally friendly and green-promoting uh, local vendors and some a few out of the area but there's yeah. just so much excitement and lots of giveaways in the kids zone too yeah it, it's just really we, we've gotten some awards i just mentioned real quickly our latest one we got the one of the top vet festivals to attend in the area by the people's choice best of the best and we've had other awards in the past from the tampa urban excellence for um a family friendly event so we're really proud of all that but we just really want everybody to come have fun And support our vendors and i think you mentioned one thing just before on friday we're doing a fundraiser we try to include our our local rescues in just about everything we do because we're not a we're not a um a sanctuary or rescue but we want to support them and this year our uh recipients of the fundraiser will be compassion kind and merciful project we have a um a reception friday night and all the proceeds of that will go to that to those rescues and um uh, we'll be featuring our speakers, and um, I know I should mention, but you'll be emceeing. We're just so grateful, but it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but you know, at the end of the day, we just hope people are um, educated and a little bit more, but we really, really want to include the youth in the school. So we're yeah. so grateful about Dr. Harsini being here as a speaker.
0: For sure. No, it's so great, and of course there's other speakers, and we should mention again, Tampa tampabayvegfest.com is the website to find out all the stuff and the schedule of who's speaking when and what food demonstrations are happening when and other things, and kind of a layout of the uh, of the park. Again, it's at Perry Harvey Senior Park this Saturday, November 4th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. And, um, and, you know, it's just, you know, we know Saturdays are busy, people have ball games and other stuff with kids and other <laughs> things, but, you know, you definitely want to Make sure you could carve out some time to come by the park and there's you know, there's six hours of window to do so. So
2: um, Absolutely. Everybody's yeah. gotta eat. So come by for lunch or an early dinner. And uh, I just wanna just one thing we wanna thank all our sponsors. We have some amazing sponsors this year too. I'm so excited about. So yeah, thank you for the opportunity to be here, Duncan. As always, I thank you for supporting our Tampa Bay Vetch Fest every year.
0: For sure. All right, well good luck and we'll see you uh, not just Saturday, but we'll see you Friday night as well.
2: Absolutely. Thank you again.
0: All right, thanks. Here's a quick message about another event coming up if you're interested in books.
2: Support for WMNF comes from listeners like you and the Times Festival of Reading on Saturday, November 11th. The festival brings authors writing about today's compelling topics and most-read fiction for discussions about their books. This year, the Times Festival of Reading will be at the Palladium in St. Petersburg. More information at festivalofreading.com. That's one word, festivalofreading.com.
0: All right, so yet another event coming up on Saturday. You can do both. Yes, WNF's own Some Girls. It's the uh, tribute to the Rolling Stones happening at uh, Skipper Smokehouse. also this Saturday, November 4th. But go to VegFest for a while and then come by Skipper Smokehouse and uh, see the whole Some Girls performed and a bunch of other great Stones songs. Go to WNF.org for information about that and how you get your tickets. And I'll be back next uh, Wednesday, speaking of books, joined by two guests, Carrie Teal, co-author of Bookland Goes Home, which uh, chronicles the story of greyhound race in the U.S., and will also feature what was a former foe in that effort. Anyway, that's all coming up next week on Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. We'll see you uh, Saturday at the Tampa Bay Fest and at the Stone Show.